For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Mark Thompson. Get woke. God bless you. Get woke. Folks, MIP is now COVID free, meaning free to all subscribers as we navigate this pandemic. We're thinking about everyone and we've got to get through this together. So for a limited time, no fee to subscribe to make it plain on your favorite podcast app. Ladies and gentlemen, of course, it is Thursday. And you know what that means. Normally, Thursday Coast would feature the founder of the largest online progressive community, Marcos Melitzis. But Marcus is on vacay for a couple of weeks, which is kind of cool because it gives us another opportunity to talk to others in the Daily Coast community. So, of course, I'm Mark. Normally we talk to Marcos. We're going to keep it in the M-A-R-K family. Uh, <laughs> and happy to hear today from Mark Sumner, who not only is a member of the Daily Coast staff, he's the author of several pieces of nonfiction, of nonfiction and fiction. Uh, the Evolution of Everything is nonfiction and a novel entitled Devil's Tower, which I believe is about Civil War dead coming back to life. So, Mark, are we talking about um, Confederates like those whose statues are we taking down today? Is this book that timely? Yeah, in fact, actually, uh, the, I wrote the book back in, in 1993, hmm. but, um, but, but uh, the Confederates make up the, uh, the, the bad guys of this novel, which obviously, starting off with people coming back from the dead, is, is a, it's a kind of a combination of Western history fantasy novel but uh, but yeah we've we've got a whole collection uh, from starting with William Quantrill of uh, confederate characters who, who make up the bad guys of the novel <laughs> well all right then well welcome to make it plain good to see you um so where where what part of the country are you in I'm in St. Louis so normally I'd be the one complaining about the heat and humidity this time of year but I can't today it was really pleasant in St. Louis so sorry about that how are you all's uh, COVID numbers in St. Louis? Unfortunately, they're, they're really, Missouri is one of those states that's, that's having a, not a second wave so much, but as a continuation of that first wave. 
Missouri has really gone up. I'm actually in the small rural county directly south of St. Louis, and our county only had a couple of hundred cases back in April and May, and now we've got 2,000. So that gives you an idea of, of the tenfold increase that's happened since then. You have been pretty much daily COSA's um, leading correspondent on this pandemic, haven't you? I happened to start covering it literally the day it began with the announcement from, uh, from China in the end of December. So between December and May, I wrote over 100 articles about COVID-19. So yeah, it was, it was unfortunately my story. You'd like to be handed a happier story to write about, but, but that's been my beat for a while. You said December 2019, so that would be of last year. Right. Is that why it's called COVID-19, Mark? Of course, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. In, in case someone we all mutually know y'all is listening who doesn't know, I don't know why it's called COVID-19. <laughs> Where are the other 18 COVIDs? Yes. <laughs> right, right. Um, so, uh, I love y'all already, man. This headline, you, you had... Uh, a group of uh, Harvard and MIT scientists are snorting an yep. untested <laughs> COVID-19 vaccine. What's going on there, Mark? Well, you know, you can have really smart people that do really dumb things. These guys could be completely right. They did some research. They, they looked back at uh, the two previous coronavirus pandemics that we had, or, or epidemics, one being SARS, and the other one being MERS, and they looked at the research that was done on vaccines at the time. So an effective vaccine for neither of those ever came forward, but the biggest reason was because they were controlled. Those, those epidemics went away. So the reason there's no SARS vaccine isn't because it's impossible to develop a SARS vaccine, it's because nobody was willing to fund a phase three study on a SARS vaccine after it had already really gone out of the population. So these guys lifted a lot of information from those vaccines and, uh, and they put it together and they wanted to make this something they could self-administer so they, they didn't really want it to be a shot. So instead they came up with a nasal spray. And what they're looking at now is they've, they've got a lot of just proteins and protein fragments that they think will trigger the correct antibody response and they've put it in a nasal spray. And to avoid uh, too much scrutiny by the FDA, they're not actually distributing the vaccine, they're distributing instructions. So if you happen to be a medical researcher with a lot of access to all of this equipment, you can, you can uh, go in and brew up your own homebrew uh, vaccine and give yourself a shot up the nose of it. And uh, right now about 70 people apparently have, have taken this uh, homebrew vaccine. How will they know whether it works or not? If you well, have that's the difficulty, yeah, with any vaccine, of course, it's, you, can, you can do that phase one study with a small group of people, right, to see if it's safe. You can do that phase two study to see if it really generates an antibody response. And then you got to do that phase three study with thousands of people to see if it's really effective because you can't, it's unethical to go out and say, now expose yourself to the virus and see if you get sick. And these guys also aren't intentionally exposing themselves to see if they get sick. 
But the problem with these guys is they didn't do those phase one or phase two studies either. They don't really even know if this is safe or whether it's building up the antibodies that they think it is. Mark, can you give us a, a, um, a snapshot of what is going on around the world in terms of developing a vaccine? You know, I think uh, when uh, Dr. Fauci says that we're, we're still about a year away from the vaccine, that's, that's probably unfortunately true. We've, there are over 200 vaccines in the works, which is an amazing number. And about 80 of those have really moved uh, to, to some level in the laboratory or in field testing. Uh, around the world, I think about 45 now have, have reached at least phase one testing with human beings. So there's a lot of possibility out there. There's really no reason to think that we can't develop a vaccine for COVID-19. I know we've seen a lot of stories about how people's antibody response dies away, but that's typical. That happens with, with a lot of diseases. Um, there are actually only seven, there are millions of viruses, but there are actually only seven coronaviruses that infect people. So two of those are SARS and MERS that kill people and are very extreme reactions. Uh, four of them cause about 15% of what we think of as chest colds. Unfortunately, that 15% that that cause chest colds, vac the, the uh, antibody response and the immune response does drop very sharply, very quickly. That's why you can catch that same virus again a year later and have another chest cold from the same virus. So, and then there's, the SARS-CoV-2 virus behind COVID-19. So the question really all along has been, is it possible to develop lasting immunity against the SARS-CoV-2 virus? It looks actually pretty good in this early research. So I know there's the sensational headlines about how the antibodies drop off, but, but that's gonna happen. That's really not even the important factor. The important factor is that your body remembers how to make those antibodies when they're needed. Um, and so right, right now there are, are at least four big vaccines in the U.S. and the U.K. that are pretty far along, moving into that phase three, and, and some of those may be available in limited quantities before the end of the year, but not for the general public. Um, yeah, so we're, how many more months are we then away in the best estimation when it comes to a vaccine being available for the general public, do you think? So, so when you get to around the end of September, you're probably gonna see the results from the Oxford vaccine and from the Moderna vaccine um, in terms of the first results out of their phase three trials. And you may actually see in October, as early as October, some limited quantity of vaccine being made available, uh, especially in the UK to say frontline healthcare workers. but really the first time that you'll probably see any vaccine available in quantity is likely to be the Oxford vaccine. It's likely to be right around the end of the year. Um, that won't be generally available in, in the United States at that point. So it's probably really looking at more like uh, late February, March, April, before you start to really see a vaccine available to the general public in the U.S. We've seen a surge here in the United States. Um, are we still in the first wave though? Is there still going to be a second wave of COVID? And we're seeing some small spikes coming back to Europe too, I think. Yeah, you know, in, in the Europe, you can probably actually say that they're really in that second wave. But when you look at 
what has constituted the second wave for these guys, you know, like a hundred cases in Hong Kong caused them to go into a real second lockdown, right? But a hundred cases is not even what my county managed this week. So it's uh, uh, in the U.S. We never really achieved the kind, the level of shutdown that would really justify calling this a second wave. We never, we never locked down long enough and hard enough to break the first wave. We mistook the fact that we hit that little peak and you know we just kind of got a saddle in the middle of the first wave was all we managed. So whatever happens from now on, our, we would then say we're still in our original wave. Yeah, it's hard to, at this point to say that we've We've never gotten it down to the point that those other countries did where you really thought you had a handle on it and you were case tracing. You know, at this point, it's, it's really impractical to even try to trace the number of cases that we have in the U.S. There's not enough people. If you hired the entire Census Bureau and put them on it, you know, they couldn't trace all of the cases that we have going on right now. So um, we, that's why we have no choice but to do big generalized things like lockdowns and like uh, mask mandates, while other countries can get away without those kind of things and get, get by with very much specific remedies um, because they've gotten the level of, of, of cases down. Yeah. Um, are things, Mark, going, well, I mean, are we doing anything to improve Move the situation generally in the United States, or is this just going to keep getting worse? You know, we, we, we unfortunately, from the beginning, of course, there's been no centralized leadership. That that article that that uh, Vanity Fair ran last week, which was excellent, and looking at how the national tracking system was both proposed and fell apart, right? You remember back March 13th, Donald Trump stands up in the Rose Garden, has uh, CEOs from six big box stores there with him. Here's the guy from Walmart. Here's the guy from Walgreens. Here's the guy from Target. Between these guys, they've got 32,000 parking lots, and they're going to have drive-through testing all across the nation. And Trump, at that same press conference, Trump says we've got 1,700 engineers at Google building a, a website that's going to track people. That's the level of effort that was necessary. And if it had been done at that point, if it had been implemented within a couple of weeks of that, we'd be having a really different conversation right now. But that effort didn't happen. And there's a, a sentence in the middle of that article that, that is critical, you know, because that sentence says that people within the White House decided not to go forward with that testing because it was politically expedient. They thought it was going to hurt blue states more. So that's the difference between whether or not we're looking at a situation of criminal negligence or genocide with, through malice. That really deserves to be investigated. If that's true, that, then the crime committed was enormous. I tweeted genocide over a week ago. Um, but to be very honest with you, you know, when someone like me says it, you know, a black activist or whatever, it can be dismissed and somewhat conspiratorial. <laughs> but when someone like you objectively uses the term genocide, seems to me people can't just 
dismiss me as being crazy. I mean, what, what else? Is there another term that we would use if we know that a conscious decision was made to have this just occur in blue states where um, people who look like me make a big difference in terms of voting? What else do we call it? it? It absolutely fits the United Nations definition of genocide, which not only covers uh, intentionally allowing killing people by, by race or by religion, but also by political party. So if just at the outset, if all you've said is, we're going to let states that are democratically controlled suffer and people die, because they are democratically controlled. If that was all there was to it right there and race wasn't even a factor, it would still be genocide. But of course, race is a factor. You know, it, it just doubles down on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm not seeing some of these other states. We now know red states are being affected. Yeah. But I'm not seeing even them do much to mitigate the situation. Yet. Yeah. No, there, I mean, the, the reluctance of red states to actually take care of their own citizens is astounding, really. And you, know, you look at across the South at how Florida and Texas and Arizona behaved as they were becoming the real centers of this uh, pandemic within the United States. And it's amazing that the disregard that they have for their own people. And you, you saw that break at different levels, right? Eventually Abbott in Texas comes back with a mask mandate and you can look at what's going on in Texas and following that mask mandate, which wasn't universal. It was still on a kind of a county by county basis. But even so, within a couple of weeks, you do see a leveling off of cases in, in Texas. They, start to, they were ahead of Florida. They start to drop behind Florida. Those two states had tracked together through the whole pandemic amazingly well. If you graph them together, they're like right together. And then starting about two weeks after that mask mandate, they start to move apart. And Florida moves ahead and just keeps getting more ahead, both in terms of number of cases and the rate of deaths. If you look at Arizona, the Ducey out there never put in a statewide mask mandate, but he at least finally stopped preventing county and city officials from putting in a mask mandate. And that seems to be enough to, to kind of not break the pandemic there, but at least slow the progress and really give the hospitals there somewhat of a chance to catch up. And then you can look in Florida where DeSantis has done everything wrong and, and the state's paying for it. Right now, it looks like Florida is doing a little bit better, but only because right now Florida has really cut back on testing. Uh, as, as the hurricane has come through Florida, they announced and they've, they've had several counties now that have done no testing for several days. So you're probably going to see a big surge of cases, a big load of cases, and unfortunately deaths that get reported from Florida over the next week as they sort of catch up to the testing that should have happened this week. And then there's the school situation, um, which is frightening. Teachers are frightening. Parents are frightening. Um, you even written about, and, and as I was saying to you earlier, yesterday we had uh, Mike Espion, who's running for Senate in Mississippi. We talked about what's going on in Mississippi. Mississippi school opened, and then they had to immediately place the students on quarantine. That's going to happen everywhere. 
if yeah. a lot of these schools open, right? Exactly. You know, so you see these, my, my wife has been a middle school teacher for 27 years, teaches science. So, so um, hmm. yeah, you see these schools and they plan on you right now. They should be at the point where kids have been given their homeroom assignments. They've had everything planned out. You know, kids should know their schedules, what they're getting. They should be getting these letters from teachers. Here's what you need to have your first week of school. Right. But instead schools, are stuck in this position where they're getting no guidance from the federal government. They're getting no guidance from the state government. Every school board's being left on its own. And people are positing that as if it's a, as if that's a positive thing, right? They're putting that forward. Oh, we'll just let the school boards decide. School boards, local school boards are completely incapable and, and ill-prepared to try to make life and death decisions for thousands of students. They, you know, they have a hard enough time picking a textbook. And all it takes is a dozen students to, or a dozen parents to show up at a school board meeting and, and pound the table and say, let's open those schools before thousands of students and all those teachers and all their parents and all their families are put at risk. And you, you see that in situations like Mississippi. People show up at school board meetings, say, we, I demand we open these schools and the schools open. It can't be really left at this kind of local level. It really, there has to be at the very least, some kind of guidelines that say you can't open your school unless you can meet these qualifications, unless in your school district there are fewer than X number of active cases. If there's anything less than that kind of cut and dry um, requirement, these local school boards will get bullied into open. You know, all it takes is, you know, one or two Donald Trump supporters on the school board or half a dozen Donald Trump supporters to come marching into the school board meeting and that school will open and kids will be at risk. What about how much have you covered our upcoming elections or even any of the elections that have occurred this cycle and COVID and the impact it will have, the lack of this nation really having an adequate mail-in balloting system. What, what are your thoughts about that? Well, you know, it's, it's um, I think in some ways that COVID is, is sort of the deciding factor in t when you look at the gap between, between Trump and Biden right now. I mean, there are, there are two factors there that I think have really um, played into that. If, if you look back at the, at the civics data the, to, to uh, pump our, our partner uh, there at civics, the gap between, you know, the support for Donald Trump was just amazingly rock steady up until this spring. You don't, you, you have a hard time understanding that with the thousands of scandals that have gone by. It seems like a daily scandal, but it has been very steady up until this spring. And then the two things that really seem to have finally decreased Trump's support have been his handling of the pandemic and, and the protests related to George Floyd's murder. Right. Those two things seem to have finally pulled Trump down. And at this at that point is the point that he is now really singling out vote by mail and saying, you know, we can't do that. Uh, you, this, the whole scheme, of course, seems to be that Trump wants to be able to say, I won on Election Day. And you can see that in the polls right now where most Republicans are saying they're going to get out there and they're going to vote on Election Day. Most Democrats are saying they want to stay safe. They want to vote by mail. Trump is very aware of that. So he really wants to be able to say, I won on election day. And you already, more than that, polls show that a majority of Republican voters are already saying that if 
Biden wins because of mail-in ballots, they won't accept the results of the election. I don't know what that means, but but that's what the polls are showing. Um, and so that is very, very dangerous rhetoric. So our elections are jeopardized by COVID, but you've also written about what Russia may be up to again. Right. And Richard Blumenthal has tweeted um, that he has reviewed classified documents. Quote, they are chilling, declassify this information. Americans deserve and need to know about ongoing foreign interference, even sabotage in our election system. What is, to the best of your knowledge, going on and what should we be bracing for, Mark? You know, there's, there's two different portions of this. You, you're certainly going to have the same kind of things happening in the 2020 cycle that you saw in the 2016 cycle, right? The Russians are really good at exploiting the gaps that exist within the United States. They, you know, the Russians didn't invent racism, but they're certainly willing to take advantage of racism in, in trying to forward those, those schisms in the country. And they, they, they're very capable of looking at, at all of the fractures that are already existing and they just put a lever in there and try to pull it apart. But the other thing that's going to go on top of that this year, the, the replacement for but her emails is what's going on with uh, Yugoslavia where you've got pro-Russian officials in Yugoslavia or, or in Ukraine, I'm sorry, pro-Russian officials in Ukraine that are feeding data back about supposedly about Joe Biden. And you've got the long-running uh, investigation that's been headed by John Durham and, and William Barr, and we've seen nothing from that. In congressional testimony, when Barr was asked about it, he would not promise that we won't see it before the election, which is pretty much a promise that we will see it before the election. And then you see a, a lot of Republican officials have been handed this packet, and packet is even uh, a generous word because the part of it that came from the State Department was 1,600 pages. So Republicans in the Senate and the House are sitting on at least 1,600 pages worth of information that supposedly arms them with scandals about Joe Biden that we haven't seen yet. No, they haven't released it to Democrats. We don't know what's in it. So it's very hard to fight these charges. Um, when nobody even knows what's in them yet. And so you would expect that there is going to be both a continuation of the same kind of things that happened last time where Russia is going to be planting false stories. They're going to be, you know, uh, sending emails and they're going to be using advertisements through social media that are designed to already uh, exacerbate, you know, the, the, the gaps that are already there. And then you're going to see on top of that a kind of an October surprise based around this false information that's being passed along from Ukraine. Okay, so we're in for it. Wow. Mark Sumner, folks of Daily Coast. Um, what's your next piece you're working on? Give us a tease. What's <laughs> You know, I've, I've been writing this, this past week about how um, a lot of the things that we think of as different stories, right? School reopening, uh, the hydroxychloroquine, uh, the, the uh, uh, cutting unemployment, all of that seems like it's multiple stories, but it's all really one story. And a lot of that story is, is about how Republicans are really focused on pushing people back into, the, into work. 
the, the people that we call essential workers who are uh, disproportionately black and brown workers are being pushed out there, put into danger because their work doesn't generate their profit. Their work generates profits for the guys at the top. Um, so that's why, you know, Republicans, when they put out this package last week of, of their supposed deal, which it, it, it took some it took some military spending and a new FBI building to even get enough Republicans on board to agree to this deal. But there are two things that all the Republicans are are dead set about on this that they, that they won't drop. And and one of one of those is that uh, you can't sue your employer uh, for for uh, reopening uh, the uh, a company, and and the other is to cut the unemployment benefits. So they're saying we're going to cut your unemployment benefits. So you have to go out there and work. And when you go out there and work, if the conditions are unsafe, you can't sue your employer. And that's the two that those are the two things that were the foundation of the plan that the Republicans are putting forward. And now on top of that, they've been doing this big ad blitz on hydroxychloroquine, which is really nothing more than trying to convince people that it is somehow safe to get out there. If you get sick, take this, you'll be okay. But of course, it's it's ineffective. It has you know, no positive benefit against COVID-19. Isn't it interesting that he can pronounce hydroxychloroquine and can't pronounce Yosemite? Yeah. <laughs> You're not Jewish, are you? <laughs> no. <laughs> say Yosemite. That's what we say. <laughs> Yosemite, yes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, you know, that that uh, that phrase might be running through his head already. So. Hello? That's right. That's right. Mark Sumner, folks. Devil's Tower at DailyCoast.com. Check him out. First time with us here on Make It Plain for Thursday Coats. And it will not be the last, I'm sure. Mark, thank you, buddy. All right. Thanks very much for having me on. Hopefully Marcos didn't get blown away by the hurricane. Yeah. Hope not. Hope not. God, you are our refuge. Send our ancestors to guard our doors. Cast out this virus from our communities and our bodies. Heal, bless, and protect everyone listening and their loved ones. Thank you for listening to Make It Plain and Get Woke. Remember to listen, like, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. If all minds are clear, it has been Made Plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. These days, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make all kinds of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs in towns and cities across the country. And jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20.